0: and welcome to another episode of Insanely Criminal. I'm Emma. And
1: I'm Jem.
0: And we're back after a little, a week's break.
1: Yeah, back. I think did. just did. Yeah. That, uh,
0: refreshed, that. ready to go. <laughs> Maybe not refreshed, but <laughs> ready to go.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not feeling very refreshed.
0: <laughs> I'm not either. I have, uh, as I've said, made slight advantage of the pubs being open. So uh yeah that's it's been a a fun week for me. Bit of a weird week but a fun week nonetheless. Um and trying to pack and I'll pack my flat up and go th- and not go to the pub and stay in and pack has been hard. So
1: what about going to the pub and then coming home and trying to pack?
0: You see well I've thought about this, but then I'm like, I'll just end up packing it in a really terrible way and it'll be really hard to move anything and everything will be all, like, badly tipped together. I don't know. Let's, let's try and be an adult about this. Only do sober packing.
1: I think whenever I've moved, I've packed the day off. Oh, man. I don't know why. Every single time I've done it. Um I've got no idea why. I just I think I've just always left it to last minute so I don't have
0: to think about it. I mean, normally that's the kind of thing I would do. Like I, I normally do <laughs> I start off really well and then it gets to like two days before and I think, oh, I've got so much to do. But I think this time, because I've had like a month to do this, I've and I'm I'm terrible at procrastinating and putting stuff off. I think I've just been like slowly chipping away at it. So I've I've managed to get quite a lot done. There's still a fair bit to do, but it's more kind of the stuff that I just use day to day. It's knowing when to pack that. So yeah. I'm like in that kind of hybrid time.
1: Yeah, I don't envy you at all. Um, I keep saying I always want to move somewhere, like from where I live now but the thought of packing everything up always puts me off every time
0: Yeah, it's it's just a lot and you don't realise how much stuff you have even though I've I had to downsize everything to move here in the first place but there was a lot of, I didn't really get the chance to properly sort through my stuff so I ended up bringing like a load of stuff that I just didn't need with me but this time I've actually kind of gone through all my stuff and got rid of a load of it. Taking loads of stuff to charity shops and clothes bank and stuff but even after doing all that I still feel like I've got loads of stuff and I think where am I keeping all this? Where does it all go?
1: <clears throat> I'm a bit like that. My plan for the summer is to get a skip and to Yes. So much stuff in there. Yep. Oh, I stuff like they've got all this shit. Like Ali's got a hula hoop in her room. I'm like, when have you ever fucking used a hula hoop? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh god.
0: I've also got a hula hoop in my room for the later. Which the the problem is with it is because I uh I'm not very good at hula hooping really. Um every time it, like, clatters to the ground, because I have, like, laminate floor, I'm just really aware that I don't want to be, like, the upstairs noisy neighbour. So I just never really did it, because I didn't want to keep dropping it and making a little noise, but then I don't want to do it outside because I'm really bad at it. So, I'm like, (laughs) I'm never going to learn how to hula hoop. Is the hula hoop still there? Well, it's... Thankfully, it's, like, um... It's an exercise hula hoop, um, and you, it breaks down into sections, which is really good. So it's just it's in a box somewhere now, but it was, it was broken down, and then kind of like during lockdown, when I, I bought my little trampoline and I started doing trampolining and stuff, and that's a hell of a lot of fun, FYI. Um, I got the hula hoop out again. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I've got loads of time on the hula hoop, and I did it like three times, and then just gave up on it again See,
1: so yeah, I remember I bought a cross trainer about seven years ago and uh probably the worst decision I've ever made I <laughs> every single day for like six months and then it just got used so as like something
0: to put my coat on <laughs> that's it it could become like a very expensive <laughs> paperweight or clothes rack
1: it was it was like the exercise equivalent of having a toasty maker. But you can't get enough of it when you first have it for then you'll never use it again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I... I I really like toasted sandwiches, but not... I had a maker, like, you know, in my previous flat and stuff. But number one, they're just so hard to clean. And you always get cheese, like, stuck in a mechanism or something. And I just don't eat them enough to warrant having... A full appliance dedicated to toasted sandwiches?
1: <laughs> we actually bought one recently. My mum got it for us. Because the kids were like, oh, I really want toasted sandwiches. And <laughs> like we had them every single day for a week. And now... That's
0: it. And then you just, you just, you're just over it after that. It's out of your system. And you're over
1: it. I really want one now. have been talking about it.
0: <laughs> anyway, shall we... Shall we, we crack, crack on? We shall. So, slightly different uh, approach this time. We're not we're not so much in the true crime area. We're skirting around it. We're more in the supernatural world for this week. And this episode is affectionately titled "Vampires Everywhere."
1: Oh my god!
0: Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm here. So. For- What we are going to talk about this week is the Highgate Vampire. So, during the 1970s, there were reports of strange, supposedly supernatural activity in London's Highgate Cemetery. After a number of sightings of phantoms and spectres, as well as other bizarre evidence, this led to speculation that a vampire was roaming the grounds of the cemetery. So, previously, Highgate Cemetery had been one of the most fashionable cemeteries, if a cemetery can be fashionable, in London, where the wealthy elite were buried. It was opened in 1839 and was built to hold thousands upon thousands of bodies discreetly. Queen Victoria was apparently very fond of burying her servants at Highgate, but by the 1960s, it had become overgrown and neglected, There was graffiti everywhere, graves were broken into, doors were pulled off the vaults. And this is where the fun starts. So there being kind of a bit of a, I want to say resurgence, but things like black magic and and witchcraft and, and all that kind of stuff had kind of had a bit of a surge in popularity. And on Halloween, of course, 1968, the London Evening News reported that A graveyard desecration by persons unknown occurred at Tottenham Park Cemetery in London. It's a different cemetery. Uh, The persons had arranged flowers taken from graves in circular patterns with arrows of blooms pointing to a new grave, which was uncovered. A coffin was opened and the body inside was disturbed, whatever that means. But the most macabre acts was driving an iron stake in from a cross through the lid and into the breast of a corpse. So there's some weird, weird graveyard stuff going on.
1: Yeah, um, I don't. I think yeah, weird could be an understatement. I mean, it's uh,
0: chaotic as well. <laughs> yeah, just you always hear that. I always think it's hanging out in a graveyard i know like when i was younger when i was like a spooky teenager my friend lived opposite a graveyard so naturally being teenagers we would dare each other to go into the cemetery at night and there was one time when she was having a house party and we were like oh my god let's go into this was like 1 a.m let's go into the graveyard and have a seance or something because that's just the kind of stuff that kids do, isn't it? Yeah. And I remember, like, I'm obviously, I'm interested in that kind of stuff anyway. But I don't know if I believe in it, but I just remember, like, there was all people chanting stuff and I just remember getting that freaked out. And a lot of it was probably just in my head i was that freaked out i just bolted back out of the graveyard and over back to our house because i'm like this is just this is too weird and i was convinced that something was gonna like grab hold of me or i was gonna see something and i thought if i see something like that i'm gonna be traumatized for the rest of my life so i just absolutely ran out of the graveyard um so yeah
1: there you go yeah I but- would as well though because um uh not there weren't too many spooky kids like when I was growing up. maybe I was the spookiest one. <laughs> but um they were always trying to do like Ouija boards and stuff like that, and I wasn't into it because I knew something really bad would happen. yep, so I was never a part of it. I was like, no, no, it's too much for me.
0: I'm gonna take a little step back <laughs> i'm like I'm really interested in that kind <laughs> of stuff, and there's like this I've got this little book called dangerous games to play in the dark and it's all kind of like it's a bit like urban legendy but it's all kind of weird little games that you would play as a teenager and a lot of them are kind of japanese themed like japanese origin and i find kind of japanese horror and that kind of stuff absolutely terrifying so when i was reading through this book and i was like proper freaking myself out I'm like, I'd never, ever play any of these games because I just, I'm quite a scientific person, but there are some things that I think, just don't tempt fate, just just leave it alone because you just, you don't know 100%. Yeah,
1: I'm completely with you on that. I think I wouldn't want to mess around with anything like that because I don't know more if it's because I live in this uh, haunted house. (laughs) I mean I wouldn't want to do anything in this house because it's spooky enough here anyway (laughs) but yeah I don't think I'd want to
0: take the risk no definitely not not.
1: uh, in the name of podcast research I wouldn't want to take the risk
0: (laughs) I mean that's an interesting thought that you propose there uh, which we may come back to in the future
1: What play those games for the podcast yeah. Oh, God.
0: In a graveyard. No. <laughs> that, uh, in a graveyard's a step too far, I think. <laughs> I do love graveyards, though. Obviously, of course, I love graveyards. Anyway, so, following this, these supposed uh, desecrations that are taking place, uh, in February 1970, a man called David Farrant wrote to a local paper, the Hampstead and Highgate Express, claiming that on numerous occasions he'd seen a grey figure in Highgate Cemetery, a shadowy man, apparently, the first time of which was on Christmas Eve of the previous year. He asked other people to write in if they'd had similar experiences, and numerous people wrote back with various stories of ghostly activities. So the ghosts were described as a tall man in a hat who's said to be potentially this vampire character a spectral cyclist, a woman in white, of course, a face glaring through the bars of a gate, a figure wading into a pond, a pale gliding form, bells ringing and voices calling. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to whip up this kind of leg- urban legend type thing around the cemetery. cemetery is obviously spooky, but we're starting to get a little bit of media attention around this. Subsequently, another local man called Sean Manchester, a self-proclaimed vampire hunter, wrote into the paper and stated that this shadowy figure was a vampire, namely the king of the vampire undead, who had been woken up two years later. So he he genuinely believes that, that this is what's happening. Um, He claimed that this so-called vampire had been an aristocrat and practitioner of black magic in medieval Romania, again, of course, and had been transported to England in a coffin by his followers in the early 18th century. The vampire had been interred on the site that would later become Highgate Cemetery, and his followers had also purchased a house for him in London's fashionable West End. Now is is this sounding familiar at all? A tiny bit. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he's just very <laughs> obsessed with Dracula. Well. Um, but he, yeah, he genuinely, genuinely believes that he's a vampire hunter and he uh, is the only one that can stop this undead figure.
1: Maybe it's the original cosplay. This is it.
0: <laughs> yep. Potentially, potentially But this wasn't the first time a vampire had supposedly stalked the streets of London So on Coventry, Coventry Street, getting in the heart of London's West End It was there that a series of alleged vampire attacks took place on the same day in April 1922 Three victims were brought into Charing Cross Hospital with stab marks on their neck resembling an entrance of some kind of tube. So maybe he's sticking a straw into the neck, you know. We're going to be hygienic. The age of Covid, well it wasn't then, but we're going to use a straw to extract the blood rather than my own teeth. Uh, The victims, however, insisted that an invisible force had leapt from the shadows and bit them in the neck. A vampire hunter was hired by the police because they just, you know, yellow pages. And the alleged vampire was stabbed in the heart with a stake and interred in a vault at Highgate Cemetery. Is this the same vampire? I hear you ask. Well, so bring it back to 1970. So both these two guys, Sean Manchester and David Farron, now both claim to be experts. Both claiming they could rid the streets r- of London of this terrible vampire curse. So this began an intense rivalry between the pair, with Manchester claiming that he would hold an exorcism at the cemetery on Friday the 13th of March. Again, of course it was Friday the 13th.
1: It sounds like he's playing with fire there. There's too many spooky things in one go.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's Don't hold an exorcism in a graveyard on Friday the 13th. Again, not sure if I believe in all that stuff, but just... Don't, just don't, just don't play with fire, but never mind. So this caught the attention of ITV, a TV channel in the UK, if you uh, don't know that, who decided to interview the pair of vampire hunters as well as others who'd claimed to see the ghostly and supernatural goings on. Now, this reminded me of something. So in 1992, and you may know about this, Jim. There was a programme broadcast on BBC called Ghost Watch. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. So if you don't know what it is, it was basically a BBC show that was broadcast on Halloween that was meant to be like a real-life, live documentary about a family who had a poltergeist in the home. So the, the story was that they got some really famous, like, trusted TV personalities, including Michael Parkinson, Um. And these people went to the house and were supposedly filming live so they would capture this poltergeist on on tape. Um, People thought it was totally legit. Uh, Apparently they did say shortly before it aired it was a a drama. It wasn't real. But loads of people thought it was totally legit. And the way that it was filmed and broadcast it was meant to look like a kind of a documentary like an amateur documentary kind of thing. Um. It started quite tame but it escalated throughout the programme so I won't ruin what happens if you haven't seen it because it is worth watching. But it drew hundreds and hundreds of complaints from people saying that they've been duped. It traumatised the children. It was on at, like after nine o'clock on an evening so the children shouldn't have been really watching it. But I found it fascinating and whilst it looks very dated now it's like supremely 90s. I still was terrified when I first watched it. And I didn't watch it till I was about 18 because I was too young to see it the first time it was on because I was tucked up in bed like good children should have been at age four on a Halloween. <laughs> um definitely watched <but> <laughs> it. It terrified me. I still think it's terrifying, especially the ending. Oh. I'm shocked. Sure. Oh.
1: When I did the Enfield Poltergeist on the podcast, they took... That was part of it as well. Like, the Poltergeist thing, obviously. They just, like, took stories from that and put it into the show. Yep. I'm sure I remember reading something that they'll never show it on TV ever again. Yep. It's just on YouTube, isn't it? I'm sure. Because I rewatched it. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, why did I watch this as a kid?
0: Yeah, like... I- so I I had it on DVD, and I don't know what happened to the DVD, but I remember I I watched it, and I think I don't know if I watched it by myself, and I was just like, this is actually quite scary considering it was made like at the time tw- nearly twenty years ago. I was like, I'm genuinely quite scared here, so I can't imagine what you must have thought watching that live. But uh, yeah, I still think it's it's worth checking out if you, I think you can find it on YouTube or you can, I know you can get it on DVD, but maybe only in the UK. Um, I actually
1: think I watched it in my room, like on the download. My mum and dad would never let me watch anything. Yep. Else. But I think I did watch it upstairs alone on a black and white TV. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> no, thanks. You
1: remember it. <laughs>
0: I'm glad. Well, I I don't think I would have realised what it was because I was only. I think I would have been about four, possibly five, at the time. So I'm I'm glad I didn't see it, but I don't think I ever would have realised what was happening because I was a bit too young. Anyway, went off on a little tangent there, but so yeah, the the ITV got interested in this. Thought it was quite a funny story, quite an. Um, an appropriate story to, to broadcast on Friday the 13th. So within two hours of them interviewing them on TV, a huge mob of other local vampire hunters, because apparently there's loads of them, armed with homemade sticks, again, of course, had descended on the cemetery, climbing over the walls and overwhelming the police trying to stop them. They searched frantically amongst the Victorian graves, searching for this vampire, unsurprisingly found nothing. However, some later claimed that they'd seen the shadowy figure lurking about the cemetery. So the same night, uh, Manchester and his other companions made their way, their way to an entrance of one particular catacomb. Manchester had previously been bled there by a sleepwalking girl who claimed to have been bothered by the Highgate vampire. Bothered by him? The group, the group used a rope to climb down into the catacomb through a window and found themselves in a vault with several coffins, one of which caught their eye as it was made of almost entirely black wood. Spooky indeed. Believing that this could be the coffin of the king of the vampire undead himself, Manchester and his com- companions performed an exorcism with holy water and garlic and sprinkled salt rounds. Following this, more bizarre things were cited at the cemetery, namely the charred, headless remains of a woman's body were found and police suspected people performing black magic was the cause of this. David Farrant himself was then caught in the cemetery with a crucifix and a wooden stake and was subsequently arrested. The case, however, collapsed when it got to court and Farrant was released. So Manchester, uh, from Manchester, continued his pursuit of the vampire and was led to a different vault by a female psychic helper. They pried the door of the vault open and were met with a similar blackwood coffin that they'd seen previously in the catacomb. Manchester believed that this coffin had been moved by black magic followers of the Highgate vampire and decided he wanted to rid the world of this supernatural menace and claim this glory for himself. So he opened the... Apparently this, this all happened. This is his account, obviously. But this all happened, apparently. He opened the lid of the coffin and was about to drive a stake right through the heart of the body. However, interfering with remains is, of course, a crime in England. So he was persuaded by his followers not to. Instead, the group performed a ritual that used seven crucifixes, four white candles and seven cups of holy water in a ceremony designed to banish the spirit or of evil or an evil presence so going into a, a cemetery and performing weird rituals getting into catacombs and vaults and all kinds of stuff yeah you've got to he was dedicated to the cause I'll, I'll give him that
1: oh yeah I mean,
0: he was really into this. This was definitely his thing. He's just... He's he's deadly... No pun intended. Deadly serious about all this stuff. But, you know, each to their own. Anyway, so... uh, Manchester then said the cemetery officials bricked up the vaults with a crucifix and holy water left inside. Manchester later reflected the vault didn't remain bricked up for very long. Spooky. So Farron, still in an intense rivalry with Manchester, tried a different strategy and attempted to communicate with the entity by holding another seance in the cemetery so he could understand its purpose, what it wanted, uh, by supposedly causing these incidents. They conducted rituals using two circles, incense, candles and a medium. According to Farron, one of these rituals saw the entity clasping the medium by the throat. He said the area turned cold the medium felt she was being enveloped by blackness and that something was trying to strangle her Farrant was then convinced that this was no vampire but instead a malignant spirit so in early 1974 uh, manchester back back to this guy and his followers were led to a gothic mansion on the borders of highgate and crouch end where they discovered the same black casket he believed which was said to contain the remains of the Highgate Vampire. Was this the property that was apparently purchased when the Highgate Vampire was brought over from Romania? Who knows? Who knows? But the group dragged the coffin out of the basement and up the stairs. Now, this is my favourite bit. Uh, When the lid was removed... So, this is Manchester talking. When the lid was removed, we beheld the same thing we'd seen in August 1970. This was now the early part of 1974. Our quarry this time looked even more exaggerated, even more distorted than I remembered it, far worse than even that time in the Highgate vault. Its burning, fierce eyes under the many furrowed brow were staring, yellow at the edges with blood red centres, unlike anything imaginable the mouth was set in a cruel expression the lips drawn back um. yeah so it gets it gets better so not wishing to take any more chances with the highgate vampire uh, wanting to rid do do this public service being the notorious vampire hunter manchester apparently drove a wooden stake directly into the heart of the creature stating with a mighty blow, a sharpened shaft of wood impaled the creature's heart. We witnessed the body shell cave in and quickly turn filthy brown, and that itself soon became a sluggish flow of inhuman slime and viscera at the bottom of the caskets. <laughs> his his words, not mine. <laughs> then that a very ghost story. <laughs> yeah, it just it sounds very very theatrical and it reminded me of the simpsons tree house of horror episode where mr burns is a vampire yeah and it reminds me of exactly that when he just kind of turns to like a a sludgy pile um so it's i mean this is like tried and true vampire ground that he's treading all over so do i believe him no not even a little bit but there you go so, as Manchester believed, that only cremation would ensure that the vampire never returned to walk the earth again. He and his followers then burned the coffin and what was left, with, left of the body. There was just bones left behind, which they ground down and scattered them to the four corners of the earth. Ooh. Ooh. Believing that once and for all he'd rid the streets of London of this undead nightmare, Manchester pronounced the Highgate Cemetery is perched. So that, yeah, apparently was the end of the vampire uh, himself. Is any of that true? Probably not. It makes some interesting reading, but the even with this vampire supposedly destroyed, the feud raged on between Farron and Manchester. Um, they both wrote extensively about this vampire incident and all the things that happened. Um, There were even rumours that they were going to have, wait for it, a magician's duel on Parliament Hill on Friday the 13th, again, 1973. Uh, But that never happened. A magician's duel.
1: We need something like that this year as a palate cleanser.
0: Yeah, just like a little (laughs) bit of light. I genuinely believe a vampire is walking around London. (laughs) All right, okay, I'll believe it. So, but in uh, in 1974, Farron was arrested again, and this time he was convic- convicted of interfering with remains and vandalising memorials in Highgate Cemetery, but he claimed that he was innocent and that Satanists had done this instead. Well, it wasn't me. No. It's, <laughs> it's always for Satanists, isn't it? That's
1: where they have to go back to. If they need yeah. a pushed on somebody,
0: it's yeah. every time. <laughs> so, as I said, the pair wrote extensively about the Highgate vampire over the years. Both claimed to be an expert, claimed that they were the first people to have seen him and that they were the ones who could rid uh, the world of this curse. They frequently attempted to insult and discredit each other, but neither was ever able to provide any concrete proof of this so-called vampire. And this carried on until David Farrant's death in April 2019 at 79 years old, so not not too long ago. Uh, Manchester himself still works as an exorcist and a bishop in the British Old Catholic Church. He states that he has destroyed dozens of vampires since the Highgate vampire incident.
1: No one likes a bragger.
0: Well, yeah. (laughs) He's like, he's Mr. Mr. Vampire Killer UK, apparently.
1: The vampire King
0: the vampire King yeah so that's that's the Highgate vampire I've got I've got another few little stories about uh, UK vampire sightings but what what are your thoughts believe do you believe it do you believe a vampire was stalking the streets of 1970s London no
1: <laughs> unless it was some kind of goth just like going above and beyond. Oh, yes.
0: God, yeah. Oh, he was meant to be like a classic Victorian-looking man. Um, it sounds very, very much like he's just read Dracula once too many times. I think.
1: Yeah, he sounds a bit like a super fan. Um, yes. He wants a taste of that fame, but he's just—he's taken a piss with it. Essentially, like, yeah. okay, don't go over the top, mate.
0: <laughs> but he genuinely, he genuinely believed that this, this was happening, and that he was the only one who could stop it. So
1: it was the seventies. I mean,
0: absolutely. Be going around there. <laughs> um. <laughs> so other, other vampire sightings in the UK. So, interestingly, bringing it closer to home. A study a few years ago shows that there are more reports of paranormal activity in Yorkshire than anywhere else in the UK. So the findings were compiled by paranormal investigator Reverend Lionel Fanthorpe, who says he has uncovered 11,204 reports of unexplained phenomena, uh, 206 of them referring to vampire encounters. Uh, 615 paranormal activity cases have been reported in Yorkshire over the past 100 years, but there's only been a handful of reports of any kind of paranormal activity in Transylvania where you would perhaps expect abundance over the same time period, so apparently Yorkshire's possibly the uh, vampire capital of the UK but then if you think Whitby Dracula Of course, there is going to be more supposed vampire stuff going on, because every second Whitby goth person has probably said, uh, "Yes, I've seen a vampire."
1: Maybe they're just looking in the mirror. And Perhaps a... so. Seen yes. another one.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you are a vampire, more power through you. You know, just
1: yeah,
0: be a be a nice, upstanding vampire citizen is all I ask.
1: Yeah, don't come after us.
0: No, and just, you know, maybe be like a vegetarian vampire, like Count Ducula or something. A material vampire. Yeah, that's that's the kind <laughs> of thing. Um, but the earliest account of a British vampire was the Berwick vampire, uh, so up on Berwick upon Tweed. He was said, this is kind of like 1100-ish time. Uh, he was said to be a rich merchant who was a victim of the plague. But the merchant was also a religious and thoughtful man it was only after his death that the villagers of Berwick discovered that the man had a, led a corrupt and sinful life so they refused to bury him on consecrated land soon after his funeral however some unexplained and terrible incidents took place in Berwick. so the merchant had apparently risen from his grave in search of human flesh and blood amongst the villagers the demented demon would bolt through the streets looking for victims, shouting, Until my body is burnt, you folk of Berwick shall have no peace. Behind the vampire, a pack of howling dogs followed, Their loud baying, keeping the villagers awake. The villagers had to end the horror of the... <laughs> ...to exhum the merchant's grave and dismember the body. They were then to burn the remains and finally rid themselves of the forces of evil. And then a more modern uh, vampire tale. uh, 2005, this one, in Birmingham. A vampire that went on a rampage in Glen Park Road, Ward End. The attacker reportedly... This is an article from The Guardian. uh, The attacker reportedly and then Big neighbours came to the man's aid. One woman had chunks bitten out of her hand, according to reports. Is he a zombie? Is he a uh, the Birmingham Evening Mail had been flooded with calls from terrified families, community leaders and schools. Agency news stream reported. Now that I feel this is very tongue in As the sun the rooftops of streets residents rush home quickly gathering up playing children Because after dark after night falls a vampire hungry for blood stocks uh reports of a dracula style attacker on the loose buying innocent people has spread terror throughout neighborhoods in birmingham causing many to fear the darkness of the night hmm. not too sure about that one
1: yeah, I was going to say, I was trying to think when I moved out of Birmingham, it was definitely before 2005, so it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> but, oh my god. Yeah. I just don't so- know if can believe it's a vampire. I mean, to me, it's just I don't know, like a fanatic slash lunatic?
0: Yeah, I think there's this- undoubtedly a very rational explanation for all of this stuff you look at me you may think there's a girl who looks like she probably believes in vampires they're not my my favorite favorite. supernatural being (laughs) uh but it was it was quite fun researching this one because when i was was looking at vampire sites in the uk and when you always get on google like other people search for and some of the top search results were, people always also search for how to find a vampire to turn you, how to become a vampire, and then just how to find a vampire. Ooh. So people seem to be interested in being a vampire. How
1: do we find a vampire?
0: Well, I think we should Google it and, and find out. Don't invite them into your home, uh, Stock up on garlic. I had a massive garlic bread pizza last night, so I think I'm fine. Um, I've got garlic bread for tea again tonight. No relation to this story. I just happen to have some garlic bread to go with my tea. <laughs> just, just
1: trying to prove that you're not a vampire.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just, just like to stress, I am not a vampire. I do you have a
1: reflection reflect-
0: um, but I don't like to be—I don't like to go into people's homes without being invited. So
1: yeah, that's the only similarity I've got. Yeah. Here. No. So
0: in summary, vampires are everywhere across the UK. So watch out, cover so, your neck.
1: So in Yorkshire, where all of the stuff seems to happen,
0: <laughs> there is a lot of stories that come out of Yorkshire. To be fair, <laughs> <where>, aren't <they? laughs>
1: It seems to be, whenever I research anything too, it's like, well, in this place in Yorkshire, I'm like, oh, again? Oh, here <laughs> we go
0: again, yeah. <laughs> yes, so that's it. Not not so much true crime this week, but I hope you enjoyed hearing about the Highgate vampire and the kinds of things that people search for when searching for vampire-related matters. I might have to go on
1: Google myself and see how I become a vampire.
0: Yep. <laughs> Be bitten by a vampire. How to tu- how to find a vampire to turn you? What the
1: hell? Turn me what? Where is he turning me <laughs>
0: uh, A vampire, I guess, part of his undead army of the nights. I would assume. Well, but yeah. If he starts-
1: vicious howling dogs behind him I might lose interest
0: mm, I mean, the hounds of yeah. hell
1: oh well, if they're little sausage dogs I might be like oh! Oh, you can turn me now
0: I must admit like so I have a just a random tangent again I have a list of like little craft projects that I want to do and for some reason I really want to make a dog uh, a draft excluder for some reason obviously you're making your own draft excluder it's got to be a sausage dog but for some reason, I want to make a vampire sausage dog. I don't know why.
1: That would be so good.
0: I just, a vampire sausage dog draft excluder. I think mean, that would be adorable.
1: Oh, you have to do it now. Yeah, I no. Then the vampire will definitely stay away.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've got my hound of hell protecting my door. <laughs>
1: They'll be like, there's already one here. I'll try the next one. I'll, try the
0: next. Yeah, I'll maybe put some garlic around his neck <coughs> or something.
1: He's so good.
0: So yeah, that, that is my story.
1: It was good. I hadn't really heard about any of this
0: before. No, neither have neither were.
1: Like I said, like, vampires aren't top of my list on the paranormal thing. So it was interesting to mm. that there are vampires out there they walk among
0: us <laughs> apparently they do walk among us so as I said stock up on garlic keep that steak close at hand definitely that's just an everyday advice anyway yep <laughs> uh, okay so shall we, uh, shall we end it there on that vampire note we shall so thank you for listening to my tale of vampire vampire life i guess uh yeah and we shall see you next week, week. with more tales of probably not about vampires maybe, maybe back to true crime for the next one
1: yeah it's gonna be a bit of a mad one next week so
0: okay bit
1: of a mad one make sure you have nope. a nap before you listen to it oh god might need that, a afterwards.
0: that that goes for me too i shall make sure i've had a nap <laughs>
1: Do some self-care before you listen next week.
0: Uh, <laughs> I might be. You never know, I might be recording from my new flat next week. Who knows? Yes.
1: Covered in garlic.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm going to plant garlic outside. That's, <laughs> I've already said I'm going to have a herb garden, so I'm like, right, it just needs to be full of garlic then, in case some the Bradford vampire decides to <laughs> come and find me. There's
1: got to be one there.
0: Of course there will. Of course, there will be. Yeah, anyway, thank you for listening, guys. We shall see you again soon.
1: We will see you next week. Thanks, everybody.
0: Bye.